Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. The year of magical thinking is Joan Didion's account of the year following the sudden and unexpected death of her husband, John Gregory Dunn, at the end of December in 2003. As she tries to make sense of John's death and her own changed identity, Didion discovers that grief is not what she expected it to be, and she feels as though she has entered a state of temporary insanity. Though cool and collected on the surface, she begins to believe that her wishes might have the power to bring John back. To this end, She refuses to give away his clothes and shoes, believing that her husband will need them when he returns to her. She calls this childlike belief that her thoughts and wishes can alter reality magical thinking. She finds numerous examples of this behavior in the literature she studies on grief and mourning, which includes poems, novels, and psychological texts. Didion's experience of magical thinking is not unique to her experience of her husband's death. I suspect that any of us who has lost a beloved person or even a pet to death has had similar thoughts and feelings. When I was in college, the poodle that we had had since I was six years old died at the age of 14. I remember saying to God that I knew how things were supposed to work and that dead dogs did not come back to life. But couldn't he please make an exception this one time? Couldn't Duchess please come back to life to be there when I got home as she had been for the past 14 years? We have all wanted that one-time exception. We have all engaged, to some degree or another, in magical thinking. This season of Easter in which we now find ourselves is meant to be a confirmation that the disciples had not succumbed to magical thinking when they said that Jesus had been raised from the dead. The question that we are invited to ask during this Easter season is, does it matter? Does it matter that the tomb was empty? Yes, it matters that the tomb was empty. But more importantly, does it matter that the disciples saw the risen Lord? An empty tomb could be attributed to any number of explanations, the primary one being that someone rolled away the stone and stole the body. But what about the disciples' witness that they had seen the risen Lord? On the second Sunday of Easter, we heard the account of Thomas's encounter with the risen Lord. You'll remember that when the disciples first saw Jesus after the resurrection, Thomas was not with them, 
And so he was disbelieving of their news that they had seen the Lord. Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, Jesus reappeared and said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. The artist Caravaggio did a wonderful rendition of this encounter with Thomas in which you see Thomas taking up Jesus on that offer and actually putting his finger in the wound in Jesus' side. But John's gospel doesn't tell us that Thomas actually did so. Only that in response to Jesus' offer, he said, My Lord and my God. Last Sunday, we heard a similar account in Luke's gospel. Jesus stood in the midst of the disciples and said, Peace be with you. But they were terrified and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Jesus responded to their fear with the same offer he had made to Thomas and John's gospel. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. In Luke's account, they still didn't believe. They marveled. They thought that they were engaging in magical thinking. So Jesus asked if they had any food, and they gave, gave him some broiled fish. During this season of Easter, the primary focus prior to today has been on the reality of the resurrection. Yes, the tomb was empty, but more essentially, Jesus had been raised from the dead. The disciples were not victims of collective magical thinking. The disciples had seen him, they had been invited to handle him, and they shared a meal with him. This week's lections mark a shift from recounting the post-resurrection appearance stories to interpreting their significance for us. This, the fourth Sunday of Easter, is always Good Shepherd Sunday. Every year, we hear some portion of the 10th chapter of John read. Last year, we heard that portion of the chapter that is referred to in this morning's collect. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Or, in the words of the collect, O God, whose Son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads. Next year, we will read the first ten verses in which Jesus speaks of himself as the gate of the sheep. But this morning, we have heard read that portion of John's gospel that evokes the most familiar and comforting image, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the good shepherd who knows and who is known by his flock. On this Sunday, I always have in mind those images of Jesus with a flock of sheep at his side and a lamb draped across his shoulder. I have in mind those images of Jesus, the good shepherd, standing in a green pasture beside the still waters. 
because in year B, the appointed psalm is Psalm 23. This psalm and the image of the Good Shepherd may well be the image of our Lord that marks the boundaries of our lives. It may be the image with which we are most familiar as children and the one that gives us the most comfort at the end of our life. Our daughter, Elisa, will be 30 years old next week. Today, I remember that the song we sang to her each night when she was little was what came to be known in our family as Jesus Tender. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness, be thou near me. Keep me safe till morning light. All this day thy hand has led me, and I thank thee for thy care. Thou hast warmed me, clothed me, fed me. Listen to my evening prayer. May my sins be all forgiven. Bless the friends I love so well. Take me, Lord, at last to heaven, happy there with thee to dwell. If we ever tried to cut bedtime corners, or if she ever woke up in the middle of the night frightened, we were, we were told to sing, Jesus Tender. Jesus Tender. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one gone astray. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who feeds and tends and lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. The significance of this story that we have been recounting during Eastertide is that God has kept his promise to search for his scattered sheep, to rescue them, to bind up the crippled ones, and to strengthen those who are most weak and vulnerable. God in Christ has kept that promise. It is Jesus tender, Jesus the good shepherd, who has laid down his life of his own accord in order that we might lie down in green pastures. It is Jesus the good shepherd, Jesus tender, who has sought out those who have gone astray, those of us in desperate need of tender care. It is Jesus the good shepherd, who we will know by the marks where the nails have been. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Joan Didion wrote about the grief she suffered at the death of her husband. She wrote about the year of magical thinking during which she harbored a childlike hope and fantasy that, only, that if she only kept his shoes and his clothes in the closet, he re would return to her and to them. But what was missing from her account was the hope and confidence of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. What was missing in her account of her season of grief was the confident assurance that the disciples had following our Lord's resurrection, that he had broken the power and the bonds of death, and that he was with them. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Behold, handle, and touch. This is not the magical thinking of those who are grieving the recent death of a beloved friend. 
Rather, this is the witness of those who have been invited to handle, to see, and to touch. This is the witness of those who shared a meal of broiled fish. This is the witness of those who knew Jesus to be the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep, the Good Shepherd who will be with us in the valley of the shadow of death, the Good Shepherd who is with us to love and to comfort us in every circumstance of our lives. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. And yes, it matters. Not only that the tomb was empty, but that he was seen during those days between Easter and the Ascension. This is not a season of magical thinking. This is a season of resurrection, a season of touching, of seeing, and of handling. Amen.